difficulties. There we go. Thank you. But you know what? All this stuff is just stuff. It's all extra. It's all whatever. Uh, if we have the Word of God and the Holy Spirit, we have all we need. And so if this thing chooses to work, hallelujah. If it doesn't, oh well. We will make the best of it. So what we're doing today is we are carrying on with our series called um, Facets of Jesus. And we're doing a special Christmas edition of the names of Jesus Christ. And so we are drawing our inspiration for last week, this week, and the week to come from Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. Where Isaiah, 700 years before the birth of Jesus Christ, gave us this prophecy. He said this, for unto us a child is born. And here he's referring to the fact that Mary is going to have a baby. Unto us a son is given. Here he's referring to God the Father giving to us the second person of the Trinity in the person of his son Jesus Christ. And it says this, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And how many people said amen? Amen. The government's on his shoulders, ultimately, and it's not on mankind, elections, or any other person. Ultimately, it's on Jesus. And his name shall be called, and here we have these wonderful designations of the person of Jesus Christ, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of his peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David, he will, be, will rule his kingdom and establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And all God's people said? So we have tackled a few of the names. Oh, look, you guys are amazing. Thank you. We are tackling a few of these names together. And the names that we're looking at, indeed, are Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. Christmas Eve, we will look at the Prince of Peace. Today, we will focus in on this idea of the Everlasting Father. And last week, when we were together, we spoke into the issue of Jesus being the mighty God. And when we were together last week, we saw how Jesus is mighty God through the incarnation. That is where the enfleshment of God happened. It revealed to us the humility that should actually mark our lives as his followers. Humility. And we talked on a couple of levels about humility last week. And I just want to summarize them very quickly. And then I want to share with you something very profound. We discovered that because Jesus Christ, the mighty God, was willing to, come be, to be human flesh, God in the flesh... We discovered that because of that, his humility should color our relationships or the friendships that we as his followers have in our lives. Paul put it this way to the church in Philippi in Philippians chapter 2. He said this, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but, here's our word, in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only on his own interest, and we're good at that, very good at that, but also on the interest of others. 
And hear Paul's allusion to the incarnation. Verse 5. Having this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus. Who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to to, uh, become man. He let go of those privileges to identify with us. And so Paul uses that to tell us that it's meant to color our relationships if we are his followers. It means that we get the chance as true Jesus followers, to actually have friends and and, and people that we fellowship with and associate our lives with and cross our lives over who are very different than us. I love what one guy said. My favorite form of social media is Twitter. That's because I get the chance to control who I get to hear from. So I choose the ones I want to hear from, and I don't have to choose everybody else, and I don't get all their junk. So I have all these great guys and and ladies who are uh, Jesus-passionate followers. There's this one guy this week said this concerning the issue of how Jesus should uh, change our friendships. He said this. He said, our diversity or our diverse relationships should look and feel strange to the outside world. They will ask, why would these extremely different people be peers? And the answer is, Jesus, yes. Jesus is the one who enables us to get along with people very different from us because he's our highest common denominator. And so that's one of the beautiful things that Paul was saying the incarnation is meant to speak into our lives about. The second thing last week we talked about, and this is when we spent all our time, was not so much that Jesus colors our relationships or our friendships, but Jesus, being the mighty God in humility, shows us how we are to use our resources or our money. And we looked at 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9, where it says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, in heaven, second person of the Trinity, uh, up in the, this beautiful community of oneness forever, Yet, for your sakes, he became poor through the incarnation. He identified with a poor peasant family. He identified with the poor. He lived in the extreme conditions. So, Paul said that you in his poverty might become rich. And Paul actually used that to tell the Corinthian church that they needed to come alongside a special offering being taken up for the Jerusalem church who was in great need through a famine. So, I challenged you last week along these lines. I said, you know, um, in those days, Paul challenged their faith. He challenged the, whether or not Christ truly dwelt in them because it should issue forth in generosity. And I shared with you that there's some people in our congregation who call this place home, who call Grace their church, that have been struggling with homelessness. And people who are struggling with, with, with um, uh, difficult indebtedness. And, and some people needed a vehicle or two in order to make life work for them. And I just said these are needs within the body. Paul challenged the Corinthian church to give to the needs in Jerusalem. And, and they gave ultimately generously. Well, that pretty well describes you. you I asked you to give very generously. You see, when I challenged you last week, I asked you to write on one of those uh, connections cards your willingness to help. I said, you know, if you would just give $100 a month, if 10 people did that, we could help somebody out of homelessness by providing them a place to live. I said, if, you know, if 20 people did that, we could provide space for two people. Well, <clears throat> at last count, last Sunday alone, more than 26 
$1,000 has been given or committed to help those in our congregation who are in need. And all God's people said, oh my gosh, already this week we've met with three individuals who are at this point of greatest need and we've had the chance to come alongside them and say, we want to walk with you. The church wants to walk with you and help you through this very difficult time. And you've given me the pleasure the pleasure of coming alongside some people who aren't sure what tomorrow looks like. And they're very anxious about it. You know, how would you feel if you didn't know if you were going to have a place to stay tomorrow? You know, the anxiety level's up here. I could come in alongside them and I could just say, you know what? What God said is true. If he can feed the birds of the air, he can feed you. The church says we want to come around you and help you through this time. And I've watched the anxiety go, shh. God is faithful. But don't forget, when God wants to help somebody, he'll take your hand and help them. When God wants to come alongside somebody, he'll use your feet to come alongside them. When God wants to give somebody some money, he's going to take your hand, reach into your back pocket, pull out your wallet, open your wallet, and give somebody some money. That's how God works. We are the hands and feet of Jesus Christ, the body. And I just want to say, you guys have been extremely generous, and there are people in our congregation who are extremely grateful that you are coming in alongside them to help them in their time of need. We also had a car that has been given. Somebody else was reconditioning a van, and somebody else has donated a, a pickup truck. So all of this is happening, and a couple of yeah, amen, amen. All that to say, when the need is made known, you guys step up. And I just love that about you. It is what it means to be family. Family helps one another in times of need. And so last week, we saw how Jesus was the mighty God who became man. And in this ultimate humiliation, this humility, ultimately is designed to color our relationships and color our use of his resources. And praise God, that's exactly what happened. As I said today, we're going to look at this topic of Jesus being the everlasting father. Jesus being the everlasting father. That's a strange concept. God the son is the everlasting father. No, don't confuse the members of the Godhead. God the Father is not God the Son, and God the Son is not God the Father. God the Father is not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not God the Father. The Holy Spirit is not God the Son, and God the Son is not the Holy Spirit. So let's not confound the Godhead. They together are one God. If you can figure that out, I'd love to talk with you after this time. It's beyond our scope of understanding. But let's not confuse Jesus and the Father. There's an explanation about how Jesus is the everlasting Father. And I think this goes as far as any to give you the understanding of this explanation. And so imagine this, Jesus Christ, second person of the Godhead, entering into humanity. And this is how we became the everlasting Father.
how can it be that God the Son is the everlasting Father? Well, John 1.14 tells us pretty clearly. It says, and the Word, the word Word actually describe, is that which describes or reveals something. And Jesus describes and reveals the very nature of God the Father. And the Word became flesh and blood in Jesus the Son, and He dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So Jesus is not the Father, but He came to reveal the heart of the Father to us. Philip said in John chapter 14, Jesus, show us the Father and we'll be content. And, and, and Jesus said in verse 9, have I been with you so long, Philip, that you don't know? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? So Jesus is not the Father, but in coming reveals to us the fatherhood of God. Acting like a father. Loving people, guarding people, protecting people, supplying people's needs. If I could choose a singular word that I think summarizes Jesus as the everlasting Father, and one that I think that we're meant to draw from, to, to actually live our lives accordingly, it would simply be this word. It is the word compassion. Compassion. Did you see it throughout that video? How he went from person to person and place to place, and loved and touched, encouraged, healed, and brought the dead back to life. Compassion. There's a great old theologian by the name of Charles Hodge, an American theologian, who called compassion, and I liked this, he called compassion spontaneous unmerited love. Spontaneous unmerited love. It just, it just happens because compassion has to act. It has to do something. Psalm 103 and verse 13 says, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. So I think the word compassion summarizes Jesus' ministry and the Father's heart as he expressed it through his Son. And again, the goal would be that we would see that as his followers and we would pick up this as part of our life in Christ. Again, the Bible says, for those whom God the Father foreknew in eternity past, he elected, selected, and predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son in order that he, Jesus, may be the firstborn among many brothers. God the Father wants a lot of kids who look like Jesus because Jesus was the ultimate son. And so this whole idea of compassion is one that should really mark the lives of us, his followers, if we have come through repentance and faith in Jesus. And again, as I thought more and more about Jesus' ministry, I thought about his teaching. I thought about some of the stuff that he taught. You know, there are some very wonderful parables, stories that Jesus used. And I think the two most prominent parables that virtually everybody has heard of and knows of actually illustrates this truth. What is one of the most famous parables that Jesus ever gave that most people know about? Uh, the prodigal son? 
Yes, there's another one as well. And let me start with this one, but the other one is the prodigal son. The other one is the Good Samaritan. How many of us? Oh, yes, you got it. Congratulations. Fist pump. There you go. Yeah, the Good Samaritan. There's a story that, that is pretty well known everywhere. In fact, we actually have Good Samaritan laws in this country that go back to this story because of somebody coming along to somebody in need and them helping them. And so Jesus, in telling the story, said this. Then a Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt, what's the word? He felt what? He felt what? Yeah. What does that even mean? Well, we don't really know all that it means, but we do know this, that he felt compassion, which meant this. This man then went to him, bound up his wounds, poured oil and wine on those wounds. He set him on his own animal. He brought him to the inn. He took care of him. He then took two denarii and gave it to the innkeeper. So compassion issued forth in action. This is a story Jesus told, and it's one of the most highlighted stories that the world knows of because the world loves to see compassion happen. When there is a need and somebody humbles themselves, somebody has compassion on them. Everybody loves that story. And people love this story. The other one indeed is the story of the prodigal son. So the good Samaritan and the prodigal son are probably two of Jesus' most famous stories or parables that he told. In this story, it says this, And he, the son, arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt, what's the word? What did he do? He ran to him, and then what did he do? He, and then what did he do? Oh, yeah. And they went on to do many other things in the context. But what I want you to see is that Jesus taught very clearly this concept of compassion. Someone is in need, laying on the side of the road, beaten up by thieves, or a son who is, has lived his life large and, and now is at the bottom. Both of these stories illustrate the issue of compassion. And compassion is that which moves you to do something. So Jesus didn't simply tell stories, though. Jesus actually went on to fulfill these things in and through his ministry and his life. Um, this will be our base text. We'll spend a couple minutes on this in just a few minutes. But it says this in Matthew 9, 35 and 36. It says, Jesus went through all of the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. And then he would heal every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had, what's the word? Because they were harassed and helpless, and here he likens them to sheep that no longer have shepherds. So Jesus was filled with compassion. His ministry was largely one of illustrating compassion, which is the Father's heart for people. Again, Matthew chapter 14 and verse 14. It says, and when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd. Jesus is in a boat. He steps from the Sea of Galilee into the Sea of Humanity. And he had compassion on them and he healed their sick. That's how Jesus viewed crowds. This is how Jesus viewed a lot of people in need. He stepped out and he stepped into it and his heart went out to them. How do you view the masses? How do you view big groups of people? How do you view lots of people in need? Oh, let's run the other way. They may want something that I have. Jesus said, oh no, I'm going to run to them and give them everything I have. That was the ministry of Jesus. That's the ministry that God calls his people to be a part of if we're in Christ. And then again, 
It says this in Matthew 15, 32, after the feeding, or just before the feeding of the 5,000. He said this, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have had nothing to eat, and I am unwilling to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. So Jesus illustrates compassion through two incredible stories, the Good Samaritan, the prodigal son. Jesus lived compassion, and we saw that through these scriptures. Compassion reveals the heart of the Father. Now, compassion has been illustrated like this. It is to be moved to pity, to feel sympathy for, to be filled with tenderness and love toward. Or again, in Charles Hodge's uh, wonderful definition of compassion, spontaneous, unmerited love. It just wells up, and you give it, even though nobody deserved it. They could never earn it. You just give it. That's compassion. Now the word that is used in the Bible, in the original language for compassion, is a really strange word that actually means what it says, or feels like it says, or I'm not sure I have the best way to put this. Let me explain. So here's the word. It's, it's a really funky word, and it is pronounced basically splags, splags. Needs oh my. Splags needs oh my. And so, so it's kind of like, splags needs oh my. It's kind of like that gut-wrenching, splags needs oh my. Can you help me say that? Here we go. Splags needs oh my. That, that's the word. The word for compassion It is literally, splags needs oh my. And it has the idea of, of something that gets you right in the gut. It twists you inside to the point where you have to do something about it. It moves you deeply to want to help. Let me see if I can give you a, a little illustration here. It was something that was actually fairly current that happened. Do you remember this little guy? This happened a little over a year ago. Uh, but this little guy, do you remember him? His name is Omran. Omran. And this picture made the rounds a little over a year ago, and it was a powerful image of children who have been caught up in the war in Aleppo, Syria. And this little guy's story is so moving. In fact, let me share with you one commentator who really struggled just to tell his story because this broke her heart. According to activists, this is Omran. <clears throat> He lives with his mom, his dad, and his brother and his sister. Their home is inside Aleppo, Syria. It was hit by a bomb, an airstrike. Who's behind it, we do not know. He and his family were pulled alive from what's left of their home after being buried in the rubble. Oh, my God. 
Omran is left inside that ambulance, alone, bloodied, as rescuers go back into the rubble looking for anyone else who may have survived. His family did. This comes just weeks after, just a week after the last remaining doctors inside Aleppo, they wrote a, a letter to President Obama begging for help. Today, the United Nations is asking for 48 hours of relief in the fighting to break a break from the violence between the government regime and rebel forces. In five years of war, more than 250,000 people have lost their lives. That includes 4,500 children in Aleppo alone. Millions more displaced without a home. Now that includes Omran. And what strikes me is we shed tears, but there are no tears here. He doesn't cry once. That little boy is in total shock. He's stunned inside his home one moment and the next lost in the, fl in the flurry and the fury of war and chaos. At least three people were killed by this bomb in this neighborhood. This is Omran. He's alive. We wanted you to know. That feeling that you have in your gut right now is splax needs oh my. It's that gut-wrenching feeling that makes you want to put your arms around this little guy and tell him, it's okay, it's okay. And you want to hold him close because you know his heart is racing and his mind is blank. And you want to just give him warmth and encouragement. You want, to, you want to hold him. You want to feed him. You want to protect him. You want to tell him he has a future. That's splagsnitzomai. This is how Jesus moved about his life. This is how Jesus saw the crowds as he witnessed the crowds, he had this gut-wrenching desire to just help them, to meet their needs, to touch them, to love them, to heal them, to encourage them, to offer them hope. The kingdom of God is coming. This is compassion. And he came to reveal the heart of the Father. This is God. This is God's heart towards people. This is what God wants from us, to be people like him that are deeply moved by the plight of others and not just helpless little kids, but even other people who find themselves in parts of life where they have no control and they don't know what's going on and they have the same look on their face because they have no hope. Splagsnizomai is the word. Let me just talk with you for the next few minutes about how we can develop this heart. Because I'm afraid that we get indifferent to people. I'm afraid we get indifferent to need. Because it seems to be everywhere. I mean, we turn on the television and all you see is tragedy after tragedy after tragedy. Hurricane this and hurricane that. And an earthquake and then fires. And it's easy to get indifferent or calloused to the realities of people around us. Notice with me, I just want to read the first, the first uh, verse here, and I want to draw a couple of conclusions, and then I want to actually talk about how we too can find the heart of Jesus. It says this, and Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages. This would be in the area of 
of Jerusalem as well as up into the area of Galilee, all the cities, all the villages. And this was his modus operandi. When he would go about these places, he would be teaching in their synagogues. He would stop into the Jewish house of worship and teach. And he was always actively proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, God's kingdom to come. And then on top of the good news, he would be actively healing every disease and every affliction. So just a couple of things. This, this is a, a general statement. He went about all the cities, healing everything, proclaiming the gospel. This is just how Jesus lived. This is a basic statement of, of how he, he did things. But I also want you to notice that it says, how many people who were uh, afflicted did he help? How many? You can help me here. Let's all say it together. Yeah, and again, it says what? It actually says that in the original language. It literally says every single disease and every single affliction. It goes out of its way to say every. And the reason is this. Jesus Christ from eternity past knew the plan of God and was fully aware of those who were the elect and those who weren't. And yet that did not keep him from showing compassion to everyone. It wasn't like he would come up and he'd go, oh yes, your name's written on the Lamb's scroll in eternity past. You're going to be one of mine. Let me love on you. Oh, here you're healed and better. Oh, you're not one of mine. I won't help you. It doesn't work like that. Jesus Christ actively, fully healed and loved everyone. Not just the elect, but also those who would never embrace him. And so I just want to make that clear that this was his modus operandi and it was for all, not just his own. Now, I want you to notice this, and this is the first key to having a heart of compassion, and it begins here. Jesus was willing to see the obvious need. He was willing to look at it and to identify it. It says this, it says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. Notice, he saw the crowd, and it informed his heart. It's funny, because over in the story of the Good Samaritan, when he saw the man who was beaten by thieves, he had compassion on him. It's funny, because over in the story of the prodigal son, when the father saw the son, he had compassion on him. You see, you have to see the need to have your heart be moved. Again, I know the need is screaming everywhere. And it's much easier not to see it. But if you fail to see it, you will fail to have compassion. You know, um, there's this guy who uh, stands on an island uh, by a sign on where Route 5 engages Mad Woman Bean Town Road. You know what I'm talking about? You know that guy that's always standing there? He's there almost every day. How many of you, how do you know the guy I'm talking about? Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, something occurred to me the other day. When I pull from, like, Costco and I'm coming down there, there's three lanes, right? The outer lane immediately pulls back into the second lane. So don't be out in the outer lane. That's kind of dumb. Buses take that because they have to suffer their road tracks. So, 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 you know, don't get in the third lane. But if you get in the second lane, you've always got all these other people jamming you. So the best lane to be in is the one closest to the island, right? Because you can just go straight along and nobody's going to bother you. It occurred to me the other day that the reason why lane two tends to be so backed up is because people don't want to face this guy. 
Think about it. You pull up in the inside lane, and he's walking by with his sign. You've been there. Come on, I'm talking right to you, because I've been there many, 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 many times. And this is what we do. Don't make eye contact. If you make eye contact, he might come to the window and expect something. That's what we do. But if you don't look, you can never have compassion. You have to be willing to look. And in being willing to look at those with need, what you're doing is you are, are confirming that they are fellow human beings. What you're doing is saying that they're not just a piece of trash along the roadside. They're not just a thing, but they're an actual human being with need. So when you look at them, you're actually affirming that they are somebody who's valuable. And if you smile at them and acknowledge their humanity, you acknowledge that they can be an object of God's love. Let me ask you, how does someone know God loves them unless we show them? You say, but if I look at him, he's going to come over to my vehicle. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Give him something. Give him something. Because there's a, a Dunkin' Donuts right there, uh, what we do is we get $10 Dunkin' Donut cards. And we give them to him primarily in the wintertime because he needs something hot. And that would be over there. And uh, in the summertime, we usually have a, a granola bar and a bottle of water because, you know, it gets hot. You know, we, we look at these people and we think, why don't they get a job? In fact, I heard one person say, you know, one time it says, you know, need work, have a family, I need help. Somebody said, I pulled over, and I offered him a job, and he didn't even want the job. He doesn't want to work. Let me ask you this. Would you trade for one day your job for his? Do you know how much work it is to stand on that little island? in the heat of the summer, in the cold of the winter, carrying a sign in front of people who refuse to acknowledge your humanity. Do you know how hard that is? That's about as hard a work as you'll ever find. And yet we say they refuse to work. Begging's a lot of work, and they need it. So all that to say, if you want to have a heart of compassion... Be prepared for God to use you and don't turn away from the need. Look at the need, view the need, embrace the need, embrace the person. Know that they're an individual, they actually are somebody. You know, Bambi helped me do this the other day. My, my wife and my son are quick to run to people in need. Me, not so much. I just don't. It's, it's not part of my nature to run to people in need. You're saying, wait a minute, you're a pastor. I know, I know, God and I, we talk about this all the time. So, so you know, somebody's in need, and so Bambi and Elijah are like, oh, let's go help them, and let's take them to a subway, and let's do all this stuff. I'm like, you know, it's not so much me. So on Thanksgiving, Bambi comes up with this brilliant idea. Bambi goes, you know, Bill, I invited a number of families that don't have connections around the area to come to our house for Thanksgiving, and maybe it was too late or whatever, but everybody seemed to have their connections made. So Thanksgiving was just Bambi, me, and Elisha, and we had a full turkey and a full ham. And Bambi goes, I get an idea. I'm like, oh no, here we go. She goes, let's make turkey sandwiches and take it around to the homeless. And I'm like, what a great idea, Bambi, let's do that. 
So we put together 16 sandwiches. We bought some nice multi-grain bread and, and, and put a, a layer of stuffing, a big hunk of cranberry sauce, a bunch of hot turkey, and put another thing on it and, and, and put some mayonnaise on there. And we squished it down and put it in the thing, squeezed the air out, got a bottle of water, and maybe made some homemade cookies. So we went out into the community on Thanksgiving Day, and we started giving this stuff out to people that we found that were in need. You know what I discovered when we did this? These people that we drive by, these people that are, are always there but we don't ever really look at, they have names. Did you know that? They have names. In fact, we met William. I remember William because that's my name. He was at the Cadillac Motel. He came out of his motel room without a shirt on. It was a cold day, but he came out without a shirt on, and he was getting something out of his vehicle, and, and I just walked up to him and I said, hey, you know, God had put it on our heart to just bless some people today, and I just want to give you a turkey sandwich and some water and a cookie. He said, thank you. I said, can I pray for you? Would you? I'd love to. What can I pray for? And I put this hand on William's shoulder and this hand on William's shoulder. He was a big guy. And I prayed for him right there. So I discovered that they have names like Gary and Rich and Matt and Elizabeth and Tank. What a great name. Tank. You know, if you're homeless and you don't want people messing with you, call yourself Tank. I mean, that'll work. And there was, there was Marie and Vinny. And we discovered these people have names and everybody's got a story. Now, who knows how true these stories are, but you know what? Almost every single one of them has a story of a broken family. Of, of, of people that couldn't get along with them or they couldn't get along or, or they've come through a kind of a very difficult part of life where the father ran off and the mother couldn't handle them. And so, so they were basically left homeless. So they come from very disruptive family backgrounds and they find themselves where they are today. As I was driving home after being here early to get ready for this, this message... As I was driving home, the Lord reminded me that when I was 13 years old, my family lost our house. My, my father uh, was not good with money, and, uh, and he lost the house. My father, my mother, I have three sisters and myself. We could have been homeless if it were not for the fact that my grandmother had an old farm that nobody had lived in in years that we could move into. And I thought to myself, wow, Lord, I was that close. But I had family that caught us before we hit bottom. A lot of these people don't have family to catch them anymore. And they hit bottom, and there they are, and they have their signs, and we go like this. Splax, Izomai. That's how Jesus felt about the crowds. Some were there to use him and abuse him. Some were there for their own reasons. Some were really hurting. But Jesus did the same for all. As we talk about having a heart, a heart like Jesus's, it begins with not ignoring the need, but actually being willing to see the obvious need and being prepared to do. And this is the next thing. Secondly, Jesus did what he could to alleviate suffering. Jesus simply did what he could to alleviate suffering. You don't have to take everybody standing on the roadside home with you, okay? You don't have to find a space in your house for them to live. You don't have to give them a job. You just need to alleviate the moment of suffering they're in. And that could be a meal. That could be, it could be just a little thing. It doesn't have to be a huge thing, but a little thing helps. 
And now Jesus, it says here, he was so compassionate on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Now, the, he uses an analogy here of the people being like sheep. The word harassed literally means to be distressed, to be worried and troubled. The word literally means to skin alive. So if you're a sheep and you're making wool and you're thinking things are good, they're going to leave you beside the still waters into green pastures and we're going to have this great time of setting up a table and the Lord will be... And all of a sudden they're eyeing you not for your wool but for your meat. You're going to have second thoughts about these people, aren't you? They wanted to eat them. And so the analogy is the people in power over the sheep, the shepherds of Israel, were using and abusing them for their own privilege. And those, they were helpless. In other words, the very people who were supposed to be caring for them and concerned for them were actually sizing up to kill them. They were helpless. They were cast down. The word means to be cast down either because of drunkenness or a mortal wound. They couldn't get up. They were so distraught. And this is how Jesus saw them. The very people who were empowered by God over them, the shepherds of Israel, the priesthood, actually was using and abusing the people for the priesthood's own advantage. You know, nothing's changed. The powerful still use and abuse those who aren't for their own advantage. It is as old as time. Nothing's changed. And so Jesus saw their plight. And so this is what he did. It says that he healed every disease in every affliction. So that's all we have to do. That was a joke. Come on, you know, we can't do that. Can, can you heal? I, 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 per, I personally cannot. But Jesus could. Oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I guess I scare little children. That's not good. But Jesus could. So Jesus did for them what he could. He could touch them and he could heal every disease and affliction. I can't do that. But what I can do is I can take a meal to somebody. I, I can give somebody a cold drink of water on a hot day. In Jesus' name. I, I can encourage someone. I can give somebody hope. Even though I, if I can't take them home. And, and so it's not like you've got to do everything. We just need to be willing to do something. To help. To encourage. To bless. The other day I went into the woods by Walmart down here in La Plata. And there are some homeless encampments in there. So I, I went in with my good buddy, Lewis. Lewis, where are you? Lewis, are you always sneaking out on me? Lewis Parker. All right, he snuck out again. So Lewis Parker is my big friend. And he and I went into the woods to try and find some of these homeless encampments, thinking that we could actually go out and meet some needs uh, from this congregation to help them. And so um, we went back in there, and we discovered that they're gone. Um, each of the tent areas have been crushed down. There's a bunch of trash and litter around and a number of uh, compressed air canisters. Uh, in fact, dozens if not hundreds of them empty on the ground from huffing. And so all that's back in there. Um, and so we couldn't really find anybody to engage to talk about what do you need so that we can provide it because lifestyles of, of Southern Maryland has already beat us to it. 
Lifestyles uh, actually has this thing called, um, what's it that they call it? It is Safe Nights, the Safe Nights program. And uh, this past week it was at the Dome over here in La Plata. And they actually take the homeless, bring them indoor, give them warm evenings on cold nights, provide them food, meals, a bag, lunch, and they go out and live their lives during the day. And then they come back. God bless lifestyles. God bless um, uh, the dome as they open up their facility and, and have these people come in. And so I, because we couldn't find anybody to, to, to talk to, uh, I decided to go right to Lifestyles, and I said, hey, how can we as a people of God help you minister to those who are in need? How can we help you show compassion? And she said, well, uh, there are several things you can do. And so these are the things that they presented. She said, for one thing, we can put together blessing bags. A blessing bag is simply a plastic bag uh, in which you put some basic items. And these items are, are pictured here, are all things that people can use on a daily basis. Uh, I have very little faith. I put together 65 of these little bags and put them in a box back there, and I thought I'd have enough for both services. Well, after the first service left, they took all but like six of these things. So they took almost all of them. Uh, I wanted to actually make it easy by actually giving you a bag and putting the, the picture in the bag and making it easy for you to pick one up and just go and kind of fill the bag up. So it's going to be harder for some of you if you want to do this. You actually have to take the piece of paper and come up with your own bag, okay? I just want to say that I would like for us to provide as many of these as we can. If God puts this on your heart to provide a blessing bag for somebody who needs one, I would be happy for you to take a piece of paper and, and do that. Uh, the goal is this, we will bring them back on Christmas Eve. That's the next time we meet, Christmas Eve. We're not meeting Christmas morning, we're meeting on Christmas Eve. And what we'll do is we'll come back together and in advance of either the 5 o'clock or the 8 o'clock service, there'll be some boxes out there just to drop these in. Dennis and I will deliver them to Lifestyles uh, the day after Christmas, and we'd like to provide as many of these as we can. So if God puts this on your heart to help, please do take one. Again, I'm sorry I didn't do enough bags. Um, and then I also asked, is there anything else? And she said, yes, we need some larger items. They won't fit in a plastic bag, but if you have these, either go out and buy them or just provide them used, that's fine. Uh, hot hands, don't provide those used, okay? Hot hands are these, these little uh, bags that when you rip them open, the air contacts the contents, you shake them, and then they help keep people warm while it's cold out, and they're out usually during the days. So hot hands, some of those uh, would be good. Uh, also, they said uh, longer gloves, so they actually go up your arm away, so it doesn't leave the wrists exposed, and also lar lo longer, but larger hands as well, because a lot of them are too small for some of the guys. Uh, they need longer hats. Those would be those that you can pull down beyond your ears so you can roll it up to cover your ears because if you just give them a small one, that does them no good because the ears are exposed. They need longer hats. Also, larger coats. Uh, one of their clients is a rather large man who wears a 6X, and they were trying to find one, and they didn't find one. And so she said, if anybody in your church can provide that. Now, this, this was last week, so they may have found one by now. But any, any coats that you have that are left over, or even if you want to go out and buy some new ones, bring them. We'll have a box out there in the foyer, and we would love to provide these for them. Also, diapers and wipes. Uh, there are a number of little children uh, who are with their moms in the Safe Nights program. Uh, I think there's a number of them under the age of eight, and some are babies, and so they said they could use diapers and wipes for those little ones. 
Uh, also, cleaning supplies uh, they will use to clean the, the beds in the area each day, but ultimately when they pack up and move out after a week, they clean the church and leave it better than they found it. And so they need some basic cleaning supplies. Uh, hygiene items, you know, shower, um, uh, like shampoo or body wash or soap or anything like that just to help, you know, toothpaste, uh, toothbrushes. Uh, blankets, they said that we would like blankets, but please, full or queen, because people like to wrap up in them or wrap themselves around with them because it gets cold outside. Too small a blanket really doesn't do them much good. And then lastly, sheet sets. Now, these would be twin because they actually fit the bunks that they bring into the space and use. So if you can provide any of these materials for the folks that have need, if you can find it in your heart to splex needs, oh my, these people, please do. Use, use these things. Again, at the back, you will discover that there are some pieces of paper on one side or all of these things I've done on, I did on the right-hand side, and then there's also the picture. So everything up here is, is on the paper back there. I just want to close with this. Jesus was willing to see the obvious need, and seeing it caused him to have compassion. Jesus did what he could to alleviate suffering. He did things that we cannot do, but what we can do, we should do. And lastly, this is ultimately important. Jesus saw eternal souls, not just people. Because he balanced his healing ministry and affliction ministry with the proclamation of the gospel. And so he went about in the synagogues proclaiming the gospel for people to come into the kingdom of God. Somebody has said, and I think it's well said, that we are not basically material people having momentary spiritual moments. But we are ultimately, eternally spiritual people who are having a brief physical moment. We want to meet physical need. That's important. But ultimately, the need of the soul trumps all. And the goal would be that we would ultimately meet that need. There's more. We have no time. We have a business meeting, all that good stuff. <sighs> Thank you. Thank you for being generous. Thank you for meeting needs. Thank you for those in our body that are being blessed by you. Thank you for those outside of our body that will be blessed by you. Paul said this in Galatians chapter 6. He said we are to do good to everyone, especially those who are of the household of faith. Well done, well done. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your goodness and grace. Thank you that you have compassion on us. Thank you that Jesus came and illustrated and, and lived a life of compassion upon those who were needy, and not just physically needy, Jesus Christ was deeply moved by the spiritual plight of people to the point that he was willing to give his life on the cross to provide forgiveness and righteousness. Oh God, thank you for your great love for us. May we be known as those who are likewise lovers of those in need. In Jesus' name, and the people of God said, Amen. God bless you. God bless you.
Oof. 